Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. This episode is a 10-page podcast all about one of his short stories. Get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Barks Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys talking about duck comics, and I am joined by another grown man today, uh, a new guest host that I'm very excited to have. So I'm going to let him introduce himself. Hi, uh, my name is Joachim Gunnarsson. I work as an editor at Egmont in Sweden. I mostly work with local brands of comics like Bamsa, Nittietta, uh, that most of you never heard of. But um, I also edit a comic book called Kalanka's Klassiker. That's roughly Donald Duck classics. Six times a year, I try to fill it with obscure and fun, great classic Donald Duck stories. And we also have one classic Bark story. In every issue. Uh, so that that's very exciting. What a what a treat it must be to get to work with localizing um, the bark stories. I I'm just so excited to get to meet people who are involved uh, with the creation and the curation of these comics, Joachim. So so thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thank you also for, you know, you you run the Carl Barks. I think you're one of the moderators of the Carl Barks group on Facebook, and you've been very patient with my um, my promoting the podcast. So I'm very grateful for that. But I'm having so much fun with this, this series. And um, we agreed that a good story for you to join me for would be what we hear in the States. It's titled the think box bollocks what is it called uh over there in egmont land and and why are you excited about this one well it's called underbara språklådor when it was um, published in the 70s it, back in the 50s it had of course no title right but in the 70s it was called roughly Wonderful language boxes, which has since been changed into underbara tankelådor, wonderful think boxes, which makes more sense. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting how these like titles will kind of evolve until they get like codified. You know, if you look this one up, I guess in English it was at some point it was called the brainy wolf. <laughs> I am excited to talk about this one, but I, but I'd love to know a little bit more about how you came to be into Carl Barks. You know, have you been a Carl Barks fan for a long time, Joachim? Oh, since I was a small kid. I mean, this is the story of my life, loving Carl Barks comics. My father bought all the comics from the late 50s, mid 50s up until 1969. He saved them all. Oh. So my grandparents had them stacked in their attic and in, in the closets and going there, just heaven for, for a kid like me, reading them over and over and over again. Then, of course, I, I did not know about Carl Barks, but I noticed those stories, the best Uncle Scrooge adventures, they were drawn in a certain way. So, yeah. so that's how I discovered it, the Bark stories. Yeah, that sounds really familiar, right? Like I remember being a kid and enjoying the Disney comics that were coming out in the mid and late 80s at that time. And, and it took me a little while to kind of figure out that there, there were a couple of artists that just stood out. You know, they had a certain style. I loved a lot of the comics by other ones, but there there was really something about the Bark stories where they, they felt like the, the right version of the characters. Mm. 
And the older I got, the more I felt that the other stuff was not that interesting anymore. But the Bark stories still worked. I could still read them and reread them. Not the case which with so many of the other stories. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, right? These do have like that timeless feel. And when I've been going back now, because it, it's been probably a decade since I read most of them, like you as a kid, I, I read them over and over. Some of them, you know, maybe a hundred times, literally. And then I had a pretty long break where I wasn't reading them. And I'm I'm really finding that going back and reading them as a, as a grown man now, I'm finding a lot of new things to appreciate. So, so it's a lot of fun. I think you mentioned that you've got some kind of a project coming up that's related to a certain Mr. Gyro Gearless. Is that right? Could be, could be, because I've been thinking a lot about this story in particular lately and uh, how the relationship between Donald, the nephews, and Gyro evolves through these first stories by Barks. And I think we will get into that more after we talk about the story. Um, yeah, so I sense that you're you're excited to get into the, the meat of the story itself. Let's cover a little bit of the background. The, the Thinkbox Bollocks was released in 1952. It's got a cover date of June for, for the American publication in Walt Disney's Comics and Stories number 141. This is, of course, uh, one of his 10-pagers. So I don't research these 10-page podcast episodes as much, but you know, this is a pretty significant one, so so I had to do a bit of research, right? We are dealing here with Gyro Gearloose's first full-length appearance, but he was a background character in, what, what was the original story, Joachim? Uh, the previous issue, actually. He came onto the scene, hopping around for an hour on his pogo stick. He is <laughs> trying to churn butter. But it's turn butter, yeah. It, it's so interesting how, you know, Barks will sometimes turn these incidental characters into someone who will, like, be the star of dozens of stories. Yes. One of the nephews just refers to him as a guy in a pogo stick. They have no clue who he is. Barks has no clue, but he remembers him and tries to evolve him. And uh, next month, he's back. That's right. So a very um, a very modest beginning there. Oh, I do like to mention how, how often stories have been um, reprinted. So this one has had, a, you know, a pretty good number of reprints in the U.S. I, I count on index that there are at least 11, counting the main one. And, um, you know, that's not surprising since it's such a, an important character introduction. And it didn't take long for it to reach Sweden uh, in uh, early 1953. So only eight months. Yeah. And that's not too common, right? Sometimes there's a pretty big delay. Yes, yes. Sometimes yeah. you can wait 10 or 20 years or so. But this one came fast. Excellent. All right. So, Joachim, I am going to go into the story itself. And then, you know, as something strikes us as interesting or no, Notable. Um, we're going to go ahead and talk about it. Sounds fine. So this one starts out from, from Donald's perspective, and the reader is drawn in with this really um, loud sound that Donald is listening to. And he he's wondering what's going on. He hears some explosions from over a fence. And so he runs to see what it is. 
And when he rounds the corner, he and the reader see Gyro Gearloos, we're about to learn who it is, rolling down the street in this really unusual vehicle that he's going to call a buggy. And, and Donald Donald identifies him as being Gyro Gearloos, the quote, dizzy inventor. And Donald wonders what this crazy buggy is. And he asks Gyro about it. And he, he tells him that it's his jet powered baggage buggy. And he tells them that it runs two blocks on a quart of firecrackers. <laughs> and, and so at the end of the page, he loads it up and, and cautions anyone in range to, to get out of the way. So that's our introduction. Yes. Oh, what a great introduction page, because Barks was a master of this. You notice how he says it's Jair Gerlos, the disinventor. He explains to the readers exactly who they see, because they have no clue. And the nephew says, hi, Uncle Donald, as if the readers don't know who Donald Duck is. But every story is someone's first story. So, of course, they need to know who that Donald Duck is. That's a good point. That's like an editor's um, point of view, right? <laughs> the, what, what he's doing in the introduction. As, as a longtime reader, I'm not noticing on that little like catch up that a good creator is doing at the beginning of every comic. But you're right. It's incredibly important. And he does it at the same time that he really gets you interested because we see Donald's and, and, and he kind of keeps it out of sight for just mm -hmm. a couple. You know, I, I just recorded an episode about the terror of the Beagle Boys, where he stretched it out much longer. But this was the same thing. He, it was all about the anticipation of what was to come. So with the first page, we know who all the characters are. And this serves as a setup for the setup of the story. Yeah, some great shorthand setup. And, and then on the second page, you know, we see the vehicle take off. And it's just an incredible bit of character art because the vehicle lurches forward. It knocks Donald off his feet. Gyro looks just ecstatic at how it's working. And Donald has this kind of surprising reaction, I think, right? Where he he's like delighted at looking at how strange Gyro Gyro is. At, at this point, the characterization is not really, it's not settled at all. Oh, and I love how in this setup, Donald is really, really mean. He's laughing at Gyro. He's behaving like a kid. Nyeh, nyeh, nyeh. But Barks has to do this. He does because this is the this is the story that he wants to tell, right? Yes. Like he wants, he wants Gyro to like overcome uh, th this mockery, this derision, but it's technically a Donald Duck story. So he needs to be the avatar for... Yes, yes. I, I love the bit where, where Gyro just like stops the vehicle by crashing it into a tree. And, Intentionally. And, and he's totally, he's totally nonchalant about <laughs> it um, because that's how he wanted to stop. Yeah. Of course. Do you, so it doesn't bother you then how mean Donald is in this one? No, because it's part of the setup so that he will get what he deserves later on. And uh, the readers will, um, how, how do you say it? They will feel that it's justified. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because of, because of the way Donald behaves in the beginning. And, and this is again, me as an editor, I think about these things all the time. Sometimes I might think too much about this stuff. Yeah. I love to hear, I, I love to hear this, Joachim. This is this is great to me. Hearing the editorial process is, 
is so interesting. So I appreciate you telling me um, because I know as a kid reading this one, I, I loved this one. I think this one stands out for a good reason, but I do remember thinking like, why is Donald so mean in this one? Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, sometimes Barks just needs him to do this. Cause, cause that's what it means when you have that, like every man character. And so at the end of this page, you know, we, we learn that really this story is not even about this crazy contraption, this, this buggy, He's just used it to take himself to to test the other invention that he has now perfected, which are his think boxes. And and uh, show the readers what kind of wacky inventor Jair is. And it's such a visual way to do it by showing this this, uh, driving around thing. Right. And and we immediately get two examples, right? So we know he's not like a one-off. We know he really is an inventor. He has more than one. On to the next page, you know, the, the characters are transitioning into the woods as we're getting the explanation for what the think boxes are. And um, I really like the explanation. Would, do, do you want to tell us about what the think boxes are supposed to do, Joachim? Well, the ray beam learn the animals how to think uh, when they pass these two boxes. And here's the thing. Of course, animals do think. <laughs> Why shouldn't they? <laughs> but, but then the nephews explain the animals will be able to talk and do things like human beings and now it gets interesting the nephews they see themselves not as ducks but as human beings isn't that true true. yeah this is one of those times where like i guess he never he doesn't usually talk about it overtly but of course carl barks always thinks of his characters as human Um, yes he doesn't usually talk about it no but that's a key point to realize what made barks so good he always thought about them as humans right and not as cute little ducks exactly um they're they're being ducks is just it's incidental and so we've got this very nice quick setup you know they they are leaving the think boxes on an animal trail and they're going to check back tomorrow and see what the results are and donald is he's kind of had time to digest what's going on and and uh he's still getting a kick out of it but then he's He's realized that his nephews are mixed up with Gyro. And so he is indignant and he's like, why are you involved with this crackpot? And the nephews are very proud to, to be able to count themselves as his assistants. Yes. And I think this was to be Bark's original plan. I, I bet he was going to stick to it, uh, that they were going to be his assistants. Pairing the nephews with Gyro could lead to situations and stuff. But as we will see, this did work very long. That's true. Yeah. He's got, um, I guess he's just got too many different scenarios for the ducks, mm-hmm. but, but we transition to the duck's house and the next page, the, the entirety of that page is basically about Donald haranguing his nephews that um, they're going to bring shame to the name of duck by being involved with a crackpot. And the nephews do a really nice job of standing up for, for gyro and pointing out that, you know, people called the great investment inventors of their time, like Edison, crackpots as well. Yes. And this is the conflict page of the story. Donald is calling him screwball, crackpot, wacky brains. I mean, he's just insulting him all the time here. And he and he's insulting the nephews. That's right. He's he's insulting them by extension. Um, those terms are pretty fun, you know, barks uh English terms, right? Crackpot, screwball. I imagine that it's hard 
sometimes to localize terms like that. Uh, yeah, I wish I had the Swedish comic right here, but I don't. It can be tricky. I'm always interested when when people translate, you know, whether they decide to do like a literal translation or if they, which I think is much better, if they try to get something that's really within the, the character of what's being said. Yeah, that's the tradition uh, we have here, here in Sweden. Uh, you have to make it as good as possible, not to stick to every sentence, making it just exactly as the English version, but uh, to make it as good as possible and fun as possible. And on yeah. this page, this also something else that struck me when mm-hmm. I reread it. Barks is referring to Edison and Marconi. Would today's kids know who they were? I bet they did in the fifties. Yeah, you're you're totally right, right? Like during this time, they would have been shorthand for a great inventor. Um, yes. And I think maybe Edison would still be known, but people would probably go to like Tesla these days, mm, right? Yeah. Edison's rival. And Marconi, of course, famously invented the telegraph, right? Uh, the wireless telegraph. Yeah. Yeah, the wireless yeah. telegraph. Yeah. So, so yeah, not not as relevant, but still important. But yeah, it's inter- It's it's fascinating the the rele- the references that resonated back in in the mid early fifties. Yeah. So this page closes out with Donald getting an idea, and and this is a great trope, Joachim, where Donald oh, yeah. wants to teach the nephews a lesson, and and he gets some kind of wicked <laughs> idea to send them up, and, and the second he does. We know how this is going to end badly for Donald. Absolutely. It's so reliable. So, and he's so desperate about this that he goes straight to Wig's mask costume store, mm-hmm. banging on the door. Wake up in there. I want to rent an outfit. And of course, the store owner is living in his store because um, that works for the story. And right. he gets a wolf costume. And now, with that in hand, the plot thickens. Yeah, indeed. So, just as he set up, right? We we return to that trail, Gyro and the kids, the next morning, and and they're very happy to see a number of sets of tracks, including a set of wolf tracks. And uh, it, immediately on the next panel, we see a bipedal wolf that we, the reader, know to be Donald in a wolf costume, introducing himself with really formal, airy language. Ah, yes, that gentleman, that was me. Good morning. A couple of couple of musical notes meant to denote that he's being very airy about it. And they're they're stunned by what they see. Yeah. And and we of course get the little trope where we we the reader can see the buttons in um the wolf costume, <laughs> but of course the, the other ducks can't. And also nice touch that in the final panel, Gyro even seems surprised that it works. He says, my invention works. Yeah, absolutely. He um he no, maybe was not confident. Yeah, because in later stories, he invented anything and he invented those fabulous things. But here he might just be starting out. That's right. Um, yeah, he calls himself inventor of anything. Yeah. So. On the next page, we get Donald trying to um, fulfill his like devious plan, right? He's explaining what happened, that he was a dumb wolf walking through. He passed through the boxes until he started acting like a human being. And Donald transitions into like acting creepier and creepier until he he tells them that he no longer likes raw food. He wanted cooked food, specifically roast duckling. 
And mm-hmm. Joachim, I was really struck as a small child. Um, like one of the reasons this one stands out to me in my memory is how scary parts of this story look. Yes. I mean, Donald as a wolf, he, he pretends that it really wants to eat the kids. And of course, that is scary for a kid <laughs> to see so- someone coming after you wanting to eat you. And again, here, here here's also a switch because now Barks is not referring to them as humans anymore. They're ducklings. Yeah. Need to do that to make it work in this story because you can't say roast humans, right? Kids, because the censors would not have liked him saying roast kids. That's true. I I think in this era of Western publishing, he was still getting away with a little, but but he was starting to get a lot of pushback, and we're about to get into a a pretty um censorful period in a a couple of years. and so um, as Donald is chasing them in the guise of the wolf, Gyro doesn't really react proportionately. <laughs> He's just kind of standing there wondering what, what went wrong. Did I have a dial set to gluttony? And, yeah. and the nephews are like crying out in terror. And as they pass by a tree, we see a figure, just the hint of a figure hiding behind the tree. And as Donald, as a wolf, passes, a, a man trips him and t- basically saves the nephews, tells tells the, the wolf, the supposed wolf, hold on there, you know, you can't harm those boys while I'm around. And Donald pretty quickly reveals to that man that it's all a prank. Um, and he, he pulls off the head of his costume and tells him, I'm not a wolf, I'm a duck. And Joachim, do you mind telling us about how this man responds? Well, he's just laughing. And he says, that ain't half of it, buddy. I'm not a dog. I'm a wolf. And this is just the beginning of the exact same dialogue as Donald spoke before is now the wolf saying and he's reacting the same way he says that it passed between two funny boxes that was sitting beside the trail and he wants cooked food roast duck and he uh, started to chase Donald exactly the same way that Donald chased the nephews so we got this the same sequence yeah told from another perspective yeah I, yeah you said it perfectly it's it's um it's a really confident thing to do right because as you say he's it's almost verbatim right it's almost word for word that he's saying donald's lines back and so donald is like i know i know where this is going his terror is growing um that image of the the real wolf unmasking himself again i read this one probably at age eight and that stuck with me because as scary as donald looked this is a really upsetting um idea right Uh, a wolf that can talk like a human i mean i mean it's it's the old trope of like a werewolf basically yes yes and i consider this one of the scariest things that barks put in his 10 pagers and honestly i i think it's up there there with the regular comics to me maybe it's maybe it just lands like that to me but i I thought that that was a very disturbing image. Yes, I can only agree. And and I mean, it's in a good way, right? Because it it gets you like really invested in this story. And now you're worried for Donald. And, and the nephews have just run off, right? And when they realize that they're not being pursued, they backtrack and they are able to see the, the tracks that, that indicate Donald's scuffle with this real wolf. And we get another great story beat here. That, that tells us what, that updates the nephews on what happened. What is it, Joachim? Yeah, 
It's a rabbit, a talking rabbit, that of course also passed those think boxes, uh, much to the nephew's surprise. And uh, he tells the nephews which way uh, Donald and the wolf were heading. So now they are trying to find him before it's too late. And when they see him, (laughs) he's all tied up, ready to be uh, roasted by the wolf. And the wolf is trying to make a fire. So now they have to move fast, think quick. And back to Gyro, who is still only thinking about his think boxes. He doesn't care if the kids and Donald are chased by wolves. He's only thinking about his inventions. Yeah, he's very single-minded in this one. Yeah, yeah. And then also the kids ask for for a solution. And of course, because he's a genius and inventor, he comes up with a solution in a jiffy. And um, then the nephews takes the think boxes with the beams. And and yeah, they set it up, you know, and and you know, before we hit that last page, I just wanted to note what a neat way it was to like introduce that rabbit. It's a great little storytelling element. We needed the nephews to be updated with where Donald's gone. And this was a nice way to do it, I think, because um, Barks casually gets to throw in. You, you never show one. Uh, if, if you have a, a high concept element in a story like this, you know, you don't show one animal that's able to talk. Usually Barks follows the rule of three is what I've noticed, but there's a lot going on on this one. So he at least had to get one other talking animal in there. Um, I guess, I guess arguably Donald was the, the third one, but anyway, the ducks will set it, set it up. And, uh, in the nick of time, as, as the wolf is garnishing Donald, he's become so human mm-hmm. that he has a, a favorite garnish. He likes to use a little bit of sage. They are able to transform him back into a regular thinking wolf and the wolf runs off in in animalistic fright and, and they save, they save Donald and and uh, Joachim, do you want to take us home on, on the ending or do you have any comments beforehand? In the end here, we see the ducks and Gyro walking away and it turns out that the nephews were right all along. Gyro is the genius. The think boxes worked and he even saved Donald from death. And uh, they say that you can never tell what wonderful things are going to be invented by crackpots, as you call them. And during this sequence, Donald doesn't say a word, but I think I know what he is thinking. Because I've been thinking a lot about Jairo and the, the relationship uh, between uh, the ducks lately. He might just be thinking that Jairo might actually be a genius. And maybe Jairo is better for the kids than I am. Am I a good parent? Maybe Jairo is better. And this just gets too much for him. Then we see the rabbit again. He acts as a beggar and say, Mister, can you spare a dime for a bunch of carrots? It just snaps for Donald. And he says, Oh, shut up. And uh, it's such a wonderful ending seeing him thinking this final half page. It is. uh, Go ahead. With him just shouting at an innocent rabbit. He's he's snapping. I wonder if that could be done today. Same thing with the beggar, the rabbit, because that is quite a sensitive thing here in Scandinavia, at least. Uh, how you pr- portray, if you can portray beggars at all in comics, in Disney comics. Yeah, you were mentioning that to me before we started recording, and I thought that was fascinating because I don't think that would be a controversial element in the states. Someone, someone might correct me. I think if if they were dressed like like coded as homeless, then then and it might be. But I know that at this time in the States, you know, the idea of the tramp or the beggar was, was a pretty common comic trope. Barks has all kinds of comical beggars in the backgrounds of stories. 
as we said before, also, this story is a second story with the gyro. And Barks, of course, developed the character later on. So instead of being this screwball, wacky brain crackpot, as Donna puts it, later on in comics and stories 153, the fishing story, Donna meets him by chance and calls him a fabulous inventor. Hey, something must have changed here. Because uh, in the stories between uh, comics and stories 141 and 153, other artists also portrayed Gyro and the nephews as sort of um, the nephews who were his assistants, etc. I didn't know that there were other um, non-Barks Gyro stories that quickly. I, I knew that, you know, he immediately, he became a popular character, but I didn't realize that it happened that fast. Yeah, it did. It did. That's uh, interesting. And they kept Barks' original concept because uh, I guess either they saw it themselves in the comics or the editor said, hey, we're getting a character here. Here's how it works. And please do the a story with him. Yeah, but, that's awesome. But again, in Comics and Stories 171, he's again referred to as a fabulous inventor. Uh, and Donald actually seeks him out when he needs help. So he no longer, he's no longer the guy that you really think is cool, but he's now a friend of Donald. So what happened there? I, I think that, could it be that Arks thought that Donald needed a friend? Because actually, he didn't have any friends before. That's um, true. Yeah, Donald doesn't have a lot of people, characters to just bounce off of, right? It's it's, it's interesting to me. He he must have just thought that he would work better not to be antagonistic against him. I mean, sometimes he even gets lumped in like with the like Donald Duck family kind of representations. You know, he's not a family member, but he's like just outside the family almost. Yeah. So, yeah. So I love this story. I think that this, as you said, it's a really neat ending. Um, I love how the rabbit is set up just beforehand to give it that little comic stinger at the end. I, I love Donald's walk of shame where he just, he is sulking because he knows he was proven wrong. And, um, and, and maybe he was proven wrong enough that, you know, that's where he ended up going with uh, Gyro and, and, and maybe for once Donald Duck actually learned something. Yeah. Um, um, by the way, have you seen the other version of this story? Are you thinking of the, um, like the follow-up to it no. or... In 1960, uh, there was a four-color one-shot called This Is Your Life, Donald Duck. Oh, yeah. The, the one... Redraw, redrew almost the entire story. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I'm sorry. I spoke over you. Tell me again, Tony Strobel. Tony Strobel did a um, sort of redraw, redrawn version of this story. I have seen that. It's been it's been many years. I wonder if I have the original because I I remember vividly reading it and being very puzzled. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously, this is a story that really stood out. If they used it for that element, that that celebration of Donald Duck. But if I if I remember right. When Gladstone reprinted that This Is Your Life, Donald Duck, they substituted the Strobel version with the Barks version. Right. Which was kind of odd because the styles doesn't match, but um, I can see why they did it, but I might not agree that it was a good choice. Sure. I know that Strobel is a, is a bit divisive to many Barks fans, mm -hmm. which which is fine. But, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I... So highly productive um, and had so many different inkers. So from time to time, I got a bad inker. I know that this is your life, Donald Duck. It's pretty sloppy inked, in my opinion. But um, sometimes when he had good inkers, it could be really good. I, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, 
I think I'd agree with that. I think he, and you know, he got to do a couple of, of um, collaborations or, or I guess finish um, with Bark. So Bark's obviously, I guess I won't say too much about Strobel. Um, there are probably some some people who really like him. Do, do you want to go into really hardcore nerd territory about this story? That's uh, I, I'm a man with a podcast all about all about Carl Barks. So that that hits my sweet spot. If you look at the first page of this story, the very first page, you will notice if you compare it with, with the first printing from the 50s, the pages does not look the same. Because what you're looking at, if you're looking at the Gladstone reprint, for example, right. the page is cut. And uh, it is um, sort of... Yeah, I've got the scan open from Index. They've got a scan of um, Walt Disney's comics, 141. You will notice that, especially in the panel where Donald says, what on earth have you got there, Gyro? The ducks have been redrawn. And why, you might ask? Do you have any theory? Um, Which panel was it? First page, panel five. Oh, man. I think that I read something about this, uh, (laughs) researching another episode, and now it's completely um, escaped my memory. So, So please tell us. Well, it was actually another duck fan that pointed this out to me just some two years ago, because I hadn't noticed before. And obviously not the persons doing the complete Karl Barks collection here in Scandinavia. Uh, but the thing is that back in the late 60s, when it was reprinted, they had to cut the first page to make room for the information about the publisher, etc., and then they removed Donald and the boys from panel five. They moved things around on the page. And when Gladstone were about to reprint this or another rainbow uh, for the Carbox library in the US, the original proofs were not to be located. Uh-huh. So they have had to sort of recreate the missing parts and trying to make a look as close to the originals as possible. But uh, they missed a, f- a few things, didn't notice a few things. So it has never been published again, I think, since the 70s here in Scandinavia, the 60s in the US. Wow. Originally drawn. Well, that is a great detail. I appreciate that. But I recently made a <laughs> restoration, pixel for pixel, that I hope can be used in the future. Oh, that. that's awesome. What a cool detail. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, I told you that it was nerd territory but uh i mean i love Carl barks and uh, if i can just restore one page it's just just fun oh yeah what a what a thrill to be able to have you know this 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 is me trying to kind of have whatever involvement i can in um in the disney comics and in the in the Carl barks realm so i i appreciate getting to learn about that so you know, why don't we talk about Gyro Gearloose a little bit, right? He, this is pretty humble beginnings, but it obviously like stuck with people. If, if they're commissioning stories, redoing this one, you know, fans remember this story and Barks obviously liked the character enough to, um, to use him a lot. Yes, of course. And uh, even in the Scandinavian productions, uh, that, that began in the 60s. We've used him a lot over here too. And he's still popular. He's in the new DuckTales mm-hmm. uh, TV series, for example. But of course, he doesn't look the way he did in the, in the beginning. Yeah. I know he was a bit chubby and now he's so super slim and thin. It's true. He went through a pretty big metamorphosis pretty pretty quick on. You know, he had a, yeah. a pretty chubby, like almost slobby look to him. Yeah. Um, 
but this is common for characters in their first appearance. You know, Scrooge McDuck and Gladstone Gander are other secondary characters that got expanded and their look got refined. Mm. Uh, you mentioned that DuckTales version of him. I, I found that one really off-putting. Um, I did <laughs> yeah. not... That design, I think it's as its basis in the 1971 model sheets, where it kind of looks like that, and it doesn't appeal to me at all. I, I just found his characterization. He's he's Gyro's always been like a very genial, warm character, like scatterbrained. But this one is is outright mean, and that's fine if you want to have that kind of character. Great, but um, I you know I think the original Ducktales probably was was much more in in keeping with the character. As, as much as Barks fans will, will criticize the DuckTales, I, I think they got Gyro Gearloose pretty right. Mm. But but yeah, the character, Barks would go on to use him as as like his own uh, main character in a lot of stories. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he even got his own comic book for a while. A couple of one-shots. How many were there? Three or? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't. I don't know that one off the top of my head. <laughs> but, but most of those stories were written by Big Lockman and others. Oh, yes. It just drew them, but um, they're quite okay. Yeah, and I find it interesting that, like, there's this weird fact, right? And I might be getting this wrong, but my understanding is that sometimes he featured Gyro because of this weird rule with the U.S. Postal Service. Oh, yeah. Where they weren't allowed to, they wouldn't permit comic books to be sent through the mail that featured more than one story with the same character as the lead. And so yeah. am so, I getting that right as far as you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Because he used them as backup stories in uh, Uncle Scrooge. Yeah. What a weird, uh, what a weird convention that 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 kind of US Postal Service regulation would dictate comics. How about if we talk about I do like to mention how this story is regarded by fans. I use Index as, as a, a representative for that. It's not perfect, but it's a pretty good way. Um, and according to Index, where fans can vote on the stories, this one is a, is a very highly regarded story. It has a 7.7 .7 out of 10, which makes it rank 154 out of all the 41,000 some Disney comics that are on mm. the site. Yeah, and it deserves it. They're really, really good stories. Story that tell us so, so much about the characters and uh, it's also sort of an introduction to, to Gyro. So yeah, it deserves. I agree. I think it does deserve it. I think it may be a little bit inflated just because it's his like first appearance, but it's, it's a memorable story. It stands out to me. Yeah. And Joachim, I'm enough of a nerd that I made my own list uh like a little spreadsheet where i i pulled out the 10 pagers from that ranking um just so that i could see how they were compared to each other and and so i can tell you that this is the fifth most popular okay of of barks's 10 pagers so pre pretty highly related rated the only the only ones that rank above it would be trouble with dimes um gladstone's first appearance wintertime wager statuesque spendthrifts and and the terror of the beagle boys so a lot of first appearances there. But, but I understand it because it's only not only a scary story, it's also a story that triggers your imagination as a kid. I mean, imagine if you had a think box, if you could make your own animals think and act like humans, 
it, it triggers the imagination. Absolutely. You're, yeah, you're totally right. You know, some of Bark's best uh, 10 pagers are like wish fulfillment ones, right? Where kids get to imagine themselves in, in the place of Huey, Dewey, and Louie, um, maybe being Gyro's assistants and and helping him out and, and having these cool adventures. Yeah. It's awesome. Then, have you seen the... Um, the other story where the think boxes appear. So I know that Don Rosa featured them in a story. Are you talking about that one or are you talking about well, a different uh, one? David Gerstein uh, wrote a story back in the 90s oh. called Pork Barrel Politics. Awesome. Uh, drawn by Bicar. I think it was published in the US. Let's see, I'm checking index. Yes, back in 98. Nice. Comics and Stories 622. So he's obviously a fan. He remembered the, the story and wanted to use that element again. That's awesome. So that's a that's a few creators, right? Because um, because Rosa, of course, was yeah. commissioned like specifically. Was that by you guys? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it might. I think it might have been Egmont who commissioned, but I but I don't know. But anyway, w- one of the European publishers commissioned Rosa to do. Um, a sequel tying together a bunch of the 1951, uh, excuse me, 1952 era stories, including statuesque spendthrifts, uh, this one, the Think Box Bollocks, Christmas for Shacktown. And was there another one in that story? I'm looking it up right now. It, it sure is an Eggman story from 2001. It's- and I, I just reread it. It, it's oh. it's a really fun sequel, and and it it uses Bark's think boxes to kind of retroactively explain the origin of Gyro's helper. Oh, it's been a while since I read it, so maybe I should read it again. Yeah, it's it's an awesome one. I I thought it was a great follow up. I really liked it. It's a neat Scrooge and Donald story that's really all about Gyro. So I, I do like to mention when when there have been sequels or follow ups and. I'm glad you mentioned. I didn't remember um, the Gerstein one. I will have to take a look and see if I have that. I own most of the early number 600 Walt Disney's comics and stories. And then the you said it was drawn by is his. I always imagine his name was pronounced Vicar. Is it? How do you say his name? You know, I don't have a clue. Okay. <laughs> I, I just said Vicar, but that that is probably a Swedish pronunciation. Could be. So. That's that's neat. It's good. Yeah, it's good to. This one is obvious obviously really held up very well because fans remember it very fondly. Any other thoughts? Oh, I don't want to forget that I do like to ask people and I didn't I didn't remind you ahead of time. I'm sorry, but I like to ask people if they have any favorite panels that really stand out to them from a story. Oh, good question. Uh, let's flip back through the barks library and see if I can find it again. While you're looking, I I will just point out that um, most of the panels that I consider my favorites in this one, they're pretty predictable. Um, It's the kind of payoff shots of the the unveiling of the wolf and how frightening that wolf looks. Because that just really, I will say that it, it scared me a little bit as a kid. Um, I think this one is, is pretty scary. And then maybe especially the one of the wolf trying to create a fire as he prepares to roast Donald over a spit, because that that is both funny and frightening at the same time. Yeah. If you ask me, uh, the first panel that would probably come to mind uh, would have been the dog revealing himself to be a wolf. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if that, uh, that is the best drawn or the most effective panel, but uh, I sure remember it. 
Yeah, it's jarring. <laughs> but my, my favorite panel must be the last panel on page three. Oh, that the name of a duck should ever sink so low. Yeah. You, you see how devastated Donald is uh, when the nephew says that uh, they're his assistants. Jairus yeah, assistants. that's a great bit of um, melodrama. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one that comes to my mind, oh, a couple more. So the one, the one on the first one on the second page where the buggy just launches, there's a great sense of motion to that one, I think. Yeah. And and I love the one with the rabbit with his hand hand out in that begging posture. I think that's very funny. Yeah. And looking at panel one here, uh, Donald is thinking while well, he hears this bam, pop, screech. What the blazes? Is it the fourth of July? And that makes no sense whatsoever for us in Scandinavia. Right. So uh, if I remember right, I think it was Fireworks, uh, because it was published, I think, in January 1953. So it makes more sense. Oh, for like New Year's celebration? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's a fun detail. Excellent. Well, Joachim, do you have any any other insights or anything else you wanted to point out? Uh, No, it was was fun talking with you about this story. And... um, I hope we do it again soon. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm I'm so grateful to you for joining me. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Um, it is always great to get to talk to Duck fans and, and people are welcome to reach out to us on the Barks Remarks Facebook page. And I uh, look forward to look forward to our next episode. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. 